they are now the pastor and pastor's wife of this church. And we're excited about that and what the Lord is going to do through uh, their ministry. Uh, I wanted to also uh, make sure, brother, before I leave, that I get to see Ava, because uh, we, we pray for Don and Holly all the time, and we, pray, we prayed for your previous pastor. We've got about 17 or 18 pastors during our devotions that we pray for every day. And so it's a, it's a real joy to be with you tonight. And uh, on the way here, that my GPS took me a strange way to get here. And I thought, man, am I going to get there or not? And I finally did. But through some beautiful soybeans and corn, what a blessing. How the Midwest has been blessed. huh? What a wonderful, wonderful gift of God, this agriculture. Just wonderful. Uh, the problem is, spiritually, America's beautiful, but spiritually, not so much. And the reason for that is there's not enough salt to retard the corruption. There's not enough light to, to dispel the darkness. I remember Dr. Bob saying back in the middle 60s in chapel, he said, you know, it's a terrible thing, young people, to see America go down the tubes. Now, that was in the middle 60s. I wonder if he were still living, what he'd say today. Boy, do we need revival. Do we need an awakening in our nation? I haven't come to talk about that, but I have come to tell you about our chaplains. They're doing a fantastic job. As you know, we endorse the Associated Gospel Churches we endorse chaplains to the military, prisons, and hospitals on behalf of churches like yours, independent Bible-believing churches. And uh, as of right now, we have got about 130 chaplains endorsed. That's probably 25 more than when I was here the last time a couple years ago. And we rejoice in that. Uh, we have... Uh, Five now in the Veterans Administration. When I started in 2017 as the National Field Representative, we didn't have anybody. And that was because of the bias of the Veterans Administration to fundamental chaplains. But now the Lord has opened the doors, and we've got five, and we look, we're looking to get one more this coming year. So that is a real answer to prayer. We're going to have two more in the Bureau of Prisons this year. We thank God for that. Um, we just, hey, the doors are open, folks. Uh, I met in Bradenton, Florida, this last uh, March, I believe, a man who wanted to be a Navy chaplain. And um, he was 48 years old. Now, when I went in the military, the cutoff was 30 for officers. But because there's such a need... The Navy accepted him on active duty at 48. Now, he's in pretty good shape. But we thought, boy, what a wonderful thing. And then my daughter, who lives in, Green in Greenville, South Carolina, her uh, brother-in-law was accepted in the Army as an Army chaplain. As a matter of fact, next week he'll graduate from the chaplain's course at uh, Fort Jackson. And he's 43 years old. So... That goes to show you the, the real 
opening of doors for men who want to go into this ministry. As a matter of fact, we could have gotten more in had we had more men who are interested, not only the military, but also the prisons and the hospitals. So our prayer ought to be, Lord of the harvest, raise up men who are interested in this ministry. Would you pray for us in, in that regard? Just a couple of things to encourage you. Because it'll, there's a lot of discouraging things, isn't there? <laughs> you know, if, if you read the newspapers, without your Bible, you're going to be in trouble. If you listen to the television without your the news without your Bible, you're going to be in trouble. But uh, we just just to give you an idea of one of our chaplains at Fort Jackson, which is primarily a basic training post. He preaches to 500 new recruits every week, and he sent us a report which we require, and he said we're seeing between 30 and 40 professions of faith every week. Likewise, one of our chaplains at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, which is primarily a basic training post, said the same thing. So we thank God for that. Now, I'm an Army man. If I were in the Navy, I could give you some things about the Navy, but I don't know a whole lot about that. Our president's a Navy man, and we go back and forth about that. But God is blessing in all of the military forces, and uh, people are coming to know Christ, and it's because of churches like yours who are praying for us, supporting us. Uh, our, our endorsing agency is not funded. Our chaplains are paid. Military chaplains are paid through taxes. Prison chaplains are paid both federal and state through taxes. I don't know how the hospital chaplains are paid some way, uh, but unfortunately our home office isn't. But in order to support the chaplains, put on a school for them, counsel them, uh, and also stand up for them, uh, advocate for them through an attorney. Tell you a little bit about the Navy. We had a situation for years where no independent, fundamental, Bible-believing chaplain was being promoted in the Navy above the rank of major. Now, that, they don't call it majors, lieutenant commander in the, in the Navy. We wondered, why is that? For years, the only people being promoted were Roman Catholics and Lutherans. We discovered why. The composition of the promotion board was made up of only Roman Catholics and Lutherans and one line officer. So we threatened the Navy with a lawsuit. If we hadn't have done that, you'd still have the same thing. And they recanted. They changed the com composition of the uh, promotion board. And now it's all line officers and one chaplain. And our president got promoted under that new board system, as did another one of our chaplains. And that was because the Associated Gospel Churches, through our attorney, threatened to take him to court. We've had to threaten other, in other situations. Uh, we don't like to do that. It's expensive to do that, folks. Our attorney is a former uh, colonel in the um, engineers. Then he went to law school, and he felt God was calling him to stand up for independent organizations and fight for them. And he's done a wonderful job. His fees are minimal. But the filings in these cases can run into the thousands of dollars. So that's why we uh, let churches know of our need. It, it's, it's, it's standing up for churches like yours. 
and we have to do those things in order to get uh, any, any way with, uh, with uh, some of the powers that be. So how can you pray for us? We can pray for our president, Steve Brown, wisdom, as he deals with our chaplains and with our adversaries. Um, who are our adversaries? A lot of the people appointed by the president, present administration are our adversaries. They don't like the gospel. They don't like chaplains who preach the gospel. And so uh, they, they will try to thwart us at every hand. But we tell our men, stand up, do what's right, preach the word, and leave your promotion in the hands of God. Don't worry about it. Do what's right. We'll stand up for you as much as we can. So you can pray for him. You can also pray for my wife and I. I'm sorry she can't be here tonight. Pray for opportunities. You just can't, you just can't pry your way into a church. <laughs> you have to have contacts, and the Lord has to lead uh, pastors to have you. You see, with independence, you have to go around to the individual churches. If you're a Southern Baptist, they have a cooperative program, and their chaplains apply to the North American uh, Mission Board, and uh, all the money from the churches goes into one pot, and the, the endorsers are paid that way. But that's not the way with our organization. We have to go around. To, as a matter of fact, this is my 282nd church since I started in January of 2017. So we, we've been around. We're, we're going to be in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, at the Clark Summit uh, Bible Baptist Seminary there. Going to take our materials and try to recruit there. We're going to be, uh, that's in September and October. We're going to be at Pensacola Christian College uh, for a couple days recruiting there. Um, now, bef and let's see, that is in October, and then in the 1st of November, 1 November, I'm getting my knee replaced. I'm try I've tried to put it off for a long time, but I can't put it off anymore. So I canceled all the meetings of November and December, pushed them into this time frame, and I hope I'll be able to recuperate and be able to go in January. And then we're going to be in Florida and in Virginia for, for that. So would you pray for safety? Speaking about Florida, boy, there's some reckless drivers in that state. It is terrible. Man, I got on four going toward Orlando to go up to Winter Garden. And I'm going to tell you, there were people flying in and out, motorcycles flying in and out. Uh, it doesn't do a whole lot for your sanctification to be in a situation like that, I can tell you. So safety on the road. Uh, I have a sign-up sheet. How many of you get our newsletter? I, th I know a number of you do. Thank you for that. It'll help you pray for us. If you don't get it and you'd like to get it, there's a sign-up sheet out there. Just print your name, print your email, and we'll make sure that you get that every month. It'll come to your phone. It'll come to your computer. Uh, if you don't want to get it that way and you want to get a hard copy, and I've got a few hard copies out there, uh, just print your name and address, and we'll, we'll send you a hard copy. Um, and for our chaplains, you can pray they'll be like Daniel, uh, wise as serpents but harmless as doves, that God will give them great wisdom, that they'll be able to skillfully operate in a pluralistic environment that's often in opposition to what they believe. But hey, we're supposed to have freedom of religion in America. And that means 
The Catholics have a right to have chaplains. The Lutherans have a right. The Presbyterians have a right. The Nazarenes and on and on. The Jews have a right. But so do independent, fundamental, Bible-believing people. You have a right to have a chaplain there. And we're going to stand up for that. So I thank you for your support. I thank you for praying for us. It means a lot. Sign up if you haven't. It'll give you an idea of what, uh, what we're all about. Now, my job, I'm trying to look at the clock back there. And I can't see it very well, but you tell me if I go too long. Would you wave your hand back there, brother? All right. Now, my job right now is to be done before you are. All right? So we've already read the text. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. There's the text, if you want to keep your Bibles open there. In 1844, the world witnessed what was to be known as the Great Disappointment. This had to do with a man by the name of William Miller, who after his conversion immersed himself in the study of the book of Daniel. He also studied other prophecies in the book of the Revelation. And after studying, he declared that Christ would return to the earth on October the 22nd, 1844. Now that never happened, did it? That morning, thousands of people were gathered on mountaintops and in churches. Others were in graveyards planning to return in reunion with their departed loved ones. When the day passed uneventfully, many Christians grew disillusioned. The unsaved became cynical, and some of Miller's followers spun off and started the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Now that fiasco could have been prevented had Miller studied what our Lord said to his disciples, but of that day and hour no one knows. No, not the angels. The Son in his humiliation does not know. Only the Father's knows. In another place he said, and therefore you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. So in our text, in verse 7, when it says, The Lord is at hand, but the end of all things is come. The Lord is at hand. The apostle is not referring to Christ's immediate return. Rather, he is saying his coming is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Paul meant the same thing. In his letter to the Philippians, he said, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Likewise, James, our Lord's brother, exhorts us to live expectantly when he says, Be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We're not to set dates. Rather, we're to live in the light of his any moment return. You know, it seems the best to me when you study Bible prophecy, to start with the right question, which is not, how can I figure out what God's going to do? You know, there's some who've got it all figured out. Now, they're broad parameters, but all the ins and outs, I don't know. But I think the right question is to ask, Lord, since I believe you're coming, how should I be living right now? And Peter supplies the answer to that question in our text. He gives four active verbs, four commands, telling these believers how they're to live in the light 
of Jesus's any moment return. The Lord is at hand. You know, some might think it's strange that Peter starts out with saying, be watchful in your prayers. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. But it's not strange at all if you realize that prayer is really vital communion between God and the believer. What we are in prayer is what we are. To pray is not to talk to God, it's to commune with him. And notice the word that Peter uses for serious and sober in verse 7. It means to be clear-minded, to have a sound mind. It's used to describe the, the maniac of Gadara who was delivered by Christ, and he sat there in a sound mind. Paul uses the same word in Romans 12, 3, where he says, Don't think too highly of yourself, but rather be sober or be clear-minded. It seems to me the idea in this text is that Peter is saying, don't get carried away with an uncontrolled frenzy or excitement. Warren Wiersbe offers some help here. He says, in a world that is susceptible to wild thinking, the church must be sober-minded, clear thinkers. I don't know how many of you were Christians in the 1970s. How many of you were Christians in the 1970s? I remember in my first church in Georgia, some people poached me after the morning service and said, Pastor, did you get this little book in the mail? I said, what are you talking about? And they showed it to me. Here was a little book saying that Jesus was going to return in September of 1971. Did he? No. Now, you're right. And you know, the guy printed that book as a little teaser because he wanted you to order another bigger book so he could explain it more fully. You know, that, that stunt has occurred about every 10 years or so. I remember down in Greencastle where I pastored for 38 years. Same thing. Someone wrote a little book. He wanted you to buy a bigger book. Jesus was going to come. What's the result of that? When believers fall for that and get all in a frenzy and excited, they look silly, the world laughs, and the guy who wrote the book fattens his, his checkbook. The other word Peter attaches to prayer is watch, and the idea is self-control. Keep yourself alert with all your faculties under control in order to give yourself to prayer. You know, Peter is no doubt looking back to his own experience in the garden when Jesus said to him, be alert, Peter, be sober, Peter, be in prayer. And what happened? He and the other two fell asleep. They didn't pray. They weren't sober. And Peter denied his Lord. So he counsels us, remember by failure and don't repeat it. The Lord is at hand. Be sober. Be clear-minded. Give yourself to prayer. That's the first command. The second one is in the next verse. Have fervent love for one another. How do people in this area know that you're a Christian? What did Jesus say in John 13, 35? How will others know that you belong to me? Can you tell me? If, what? Yeah, that's one way, but what's another one? 
in light of that verse, if you have love for one another. Peter tells us not only to love, but to do it fervently. Doesn't he say that? Have fervent charity or fervent love for one another. The word is ektechnes, which means intensely. And the root idea is stretched or strained, like the taut muscles of an athlete or the muscles of a horse stretched out at full gallop. One translation is helpful. Keep your love for one another at full strength. That's got to be a priority in a local assembly. Notice how verse 8 begins. Above all, above everything else, keep your love at full strength for one another. Why? You know why? Because, folks, if you've been around Christian churches for any length of time, you know this, stuff happens. <laughs> Somebody says something they shouldn't say. Somebody's carrying their feelings on their shoulders. And what's said doesn't sound right to them. Someone gets offended. And the devil uses that as an opportunity to build a wedge between God's people. And you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to take advantage of those situations, and he wants to get at our Lord. He can't get it at our Lord, but he can get at our Lord through us. As people in the community say, these people say they know God, but look how they treat one another. How many problems in our lives, in our families, in our churches would be resolved if Christians kept this love for God and each other at full strength? So love has to be a priority. And then, and then Peter goes on and talks about love in the sense that it is powerful. Notice the last part of that verse. For love or charity shall cover the multitude of sins. This quality of love can cover all kinds of sins. Peter seems to be quoting from Proverbs 10, 12, which says, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all sins. Now, he's not telling us to condone sin. He's not telling us that sin shouldn't be confronted. But he is saying it's to be covered, it's not to be spread around. Have you an example of that? Think of Noah. What happened to him? He got drunk. He lost his self-control. Not only did he get drunk, he got naked. And his one son came in, looked at him, and laughed. And spread it around. The other two sons, what did they do? They took some clothing, walked in backwards, and covered him up. That's the idea. Love doesn't spread people's sins around. Love covers them up. Love prays for those who've fallen. Love cares for those who've fallen. We don't delight when others fall. We don't sit around and brag that we haven't done this or we haven't done that because what did the Paul say, be careful, he that standeth, take heed, what? Lest he fall. 
Love builds up rather than tearing down. Love focuses on affirming strengths rather than criticizing weaknesses. It bears one another's burdens, as Paul says, and so fulfills the love of Christ. The third command for living in the light of our Lord's return is in verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. The Greek word for hospitality means to be fond of guests, or it can be translated love, lover of strangers. To be hospitable means to share what God has given to you with others, including your home, your meals, your resources, your very lives. In Bible times, they didn't have motels and inns like we do today. Some of the places that did house people were not places that a Christian would want to be. So Christians opened their homes for visiting preachers and missionaries and evangelists, and they fed them, and they took an offering for them and sent them on their way with God's blessing. That's hospitality. As a matter of fact, that gift of hospitality is so important that it's one of the qualifications for a pastor or a deacon given to hospitality. I tell you, I'm a blessed man. I've had two wives, not at the same time, but two different wives. My first one went to heaven in 2014. And my current wife is such a blessing to me. You know, the Bible says it's not good for a man to be alone. I believe that. My first wife, what a hospitable person she was. We had a group from Bob Jones University who was supposed to come to the church, and we had people who signed up to take care of him. You do that around here, I'm sure. Well, the night of their arrival, somebody calls and says, we can't do it, but no explanation. Hmm, man, what am I going to do? Here's four. Call up my wife. Honey, what are we going to do? She said, we'll manage, but you're going to have to come home and help me clean this place up. What a wife! What a blessing! Given to hospitality. And how are you to do it? Without grumbling and complaining. Oh, i got to do it. i got to do that. No. That's not what Peter says. The bottom line is that when you open your home to others, you're opening your home to the Lord Jesus Christ. The final command we are to carry out while awaiting our Lord's return. Now, am I going to be done before you are? I hope so. The final command is found in verse 10 and 11. And you can summarize it like this. Minister to one another. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. You get that at salvation. You know where they're found? It's easy to remember. Two twelves and two fours. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. They're there. What are we to do with them? Serve one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says they're for the mutual benefit of the body. In Ephesians 4, he says they're to be used to build up the local body of Christ. As each exercises them, we all grow and become more and more like Christ. What's a pastor to do? He's not to do all the exercising of the gifts because he doesn't have them all. He equips. 
He teaches. He preaches. He equips the church. He equips believers. And those believers use those spiritual gifts that God's given them to carry out the ministry of the church. I remember someone asking me one time at a conference, you know, preachers get together in conferences and they like to brag and a lot of them speak evangelistically about their churches, you know. And uh, they were talking about how big their churches are and they asked me, how many, how many ministers do you have? Now, what they meant was how many pastors. I said about 140. 140? What I mean? Well, at that time we had about 180 people and about 140 of those were young people and adults. I was the pastor. I was to equip those people. They're the ministers. And they carry out the ministry. You know, we're to live in such a way that and carry out that ministry using our spiritual gifts that in verse 11, the text says that God, the middle of the verse, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. In the middle of World War II, during the flight to control the Pacific Ocean on March 11, 1942, a 62-year-old Army officer with his family secretly slipped out of the Philippines and in a minor miracle made their way to Australia. Before General Douglas MacArthur left the islands, he declared, I will return. Two and a half years later, October the 20th, 1944, he stood again on the soil of the Philippines and announced on the radio, this is the voice of freedom. People of the Philippines, I have returned. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. One day all who belong to him will hear his voice and he will come again to this earth. I can't tell you every little detail about how that's going to happen. But Peter makes it clear what we should be doing while we wait. Now, there are other things in other places in the Bible that give other ideas too, what we're to do. But here, there are four. One, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Two, have fervent love for one another. Three, be hospitable without grumbling. And four, as a good steward of your spiritual gifts, use them to build up the body of Christ so that God may be glorified in all things. And I hope I was done before you were. Thank you for the opportunity Brother Don, to be here, tell your pastor I missed him. I, I remember when I lined this up that he said he wasn't going to be here now that I, I think about it again. But uh, I was looking forward to meeting him. We'll have to meet him another time. And uh, I know that you rejoice that uh, the Lord's given him to you and his wife and family. And we just expect wonderful things from his ministry uh, in this church. Thank you guys for coming tonight. That